You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, PJ Team Leader, former Indoc Instructor Supervisor, Entrepreneur, and Physician Assistant Student, Brian Silva. All right, what's up, everybody? Brian Silva for the Ones Ready Podcast here. We have some special guests, as always, in the team room with us today, the guys from the Commissioned um, Air Force Officer Podcast are with us to talk about everything officer, those so those people that are on the fence of whether or not they want to go enlisted, officer, what's it's gonna, what is it going to be like, am I mature enough, do I have what it takes to be an officer and lead people. So we're going to talk about all those things today, you know, and uh, get into that. So we appreciate them coming on. But as always, we always want to start off with thank yous and gratitude for all you people that are out there listening to us. Um, we really appreciate it over the last year, uh, much like their podcast. We turned a year old um, recently, and we really appreciate all of you guys listening and liking, engaging with us. Um, you know, we really just enjoy doing this to help you guys out and make sure that you guys are ready to go and you make the most educated decision possible towards your next career, whatever it may be. Even if it's not any of the AFSW type of career fields, we want you to be sure that if you're going officer, enlisted, whatever thing you're stepping stepping into, all these principles apply and everything that we're talking about is going to hopefully make you a more successful person in life and whatever else you're doing. So um, we appreciate that. And then also we appreciate um, those people that we're affiliated with and they're really awesome companies, veteran owned type. Um, you know, one of those that we really appreciate is hoist because they just have super awesome people that are working for that company. If you're still, you know, sipping on Gatorade or sipping on whatever kind of other hydration packets that are out there, you got to try hoist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got to try this at least. I mean, you have to say you tried it because literally that's the only kind of hydration that I like to drink, you know, aside from water, obviously, but it's, literally it's IV hydration. So as soon as you, you drink it, you start to feel that hydration and you're ready to go. So, um, try it out, make sure you use the code ones ready whenever you go to check out. Um, again, you're supporting an awesome company and they're really great people over there. So, um, we appreciate it and we appreciate them and we appreciate you and let's get into this officer podcast. So, like I said, um, we have, Colin and Reed from the Commissioned Air Force Officer Podcast, and we're going to be talking about some of their leadership principle. If you haven't checked out their podcast, make sure you go check it out, give them a listen, and learn some leadership principles from these guys. Lots of experience, and we're really proud to have them on the show today. So if you guys can uh, just give us a little synopsis of your background and kind of who you guys are. Yeah, so I am Colin Slade. I am a captain in the Air Force Reserve right now. Uh, I did spend uh, a number of years on active duty uh, in a couple of different stints, actually. Um, I commissioned out of Air Force ROTC, Detachment 855, Brigham Young University. I studied uh, mechanical engineering and went into active duty as a civil engineering officer. I spent four years doing that, and then I separated, went into the Individual Ready Reserve for about 20 months and was in a non-drill, non-participating status and grew my beard and my hair out quite long. It was an enjoyable time, but it, um, but but I was also very much missing my brothers and sisters at arms. And so I looked for an opportunity to get back into the service. I found a way to uh, get back on active duty. 
to uh, teach Air Force ROTC actually back at the detachment where I commissioned. So I spent another three years there on active duty. And there is really where I cut my teeth on uh, Air Force officership and what the Air Force expects of new lieutenants, those that are uh, coming out of their commissioning sources, going uh, into active duty or the reserve or something like that. And, um, and, and just finished that, that tour this last summer. So I'm now back in the Air Force Reserve and in the process of cross-training from civil engineering into space operations. So that's a little bit about me over um, my last 10 years of time in and out of the Air Force. Right. Well, I guess that uh, leaves me up here then, I guess. So uh, I'm Reed Gann. I'm a major in the U.S. Air Force. Uh, I'm a s- intel officer right now. I originally commissioned uh, through OTS as a chemist. So I have a master's degree in cell biology. Uh, graduated in 2007 and 2009, which is a bad time to graduate and try to get a job when you know the economy was kind of in the gutter. And so I was looking for something else. And I found my calling in being a member of the profession of arms and specifically being in the Air Force. I went to OTS. It was a transformative experience for me. Uh, And then I did my first duty assignment at Patrick Air Force Base as a chemist, at which time they said, we hired too many chemists this year, so you need to find a new calling in life. And so I crossed over into Intel, done a number of assignments doing that. And then I had an opportunity to go back to OTS to teach. And like Colin, that was a really transformative experience to be in charge and the gatekeeper, if you will, of, of creating new officers for the Air Force. And it really developed a passion in me for leading people and, and helping them become who they want to be and who we need them to be in the Air Force. And then, you know, Colin dragged me kicking and screaming into this idea of creating a podcast all about how, I, how to do this and, and try to do it better. And I certainly learned a lot as I've tried to not only develop my skills as a leader, but help other people do it as well. So, so y'all met while you were uh, ROTC cadre? No. So Reed and I actually met in 2011. Oh, yeah, man, two, I'm way off. Two, <laughs> in 2011, <laughs> we had both just recently commissioned. Um, I came out of ROTC, Reed came out of OTS, and we met each other back at Montgomery Air Force Base. Uh, sorry, Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery for ASBC, Air and Space Basic Course. We were we were in the same flight there and just um, became really good friends of state of contact, uh, you know, throughout our entire uh, careers, never been stationed together. Uh, but um, he and I uh, share a lot of uh, similar values and uh, in the way that we see the world, especially um, the way that we see, view offer, uh, officership. Yes, we have our disagreements, which we get into quite a bit in our own podcast. But uh, all of those uh, conversations that, w- that we've had over the years, and especially in the last year as we've been doing this podcast, have really honed our understanding and appreciation uh, for what it means to be an officer and what we think it should mean to be an officer. You guys ever heard of Air and Space Basic Course, ASBC? I haven't. Nope. Yeah. So bottom line, imagine, uh, you know, ALS or Senior NCO Academy or NCOA, but you literally got out of basic training like six weeks before you start this PME. Say, as soon as you said Maxwell, I was like, oh, you guys met at SOS, but nope, way before. <laughs> way SOS. before. So 
it's a bunch of second lieutenants sitting around saying, well, at the academy, I taught, I learned this. <laughs> at ROTC, I learned this. And it, it was not a good idea. So we, we were in the last class of that. So give a crap factor for the instructors and everybody was a little low. But, you know. <laughs> Lots of people saying my Air Force, but yeah. 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 A whole lot of that going on. Yeah, it was tough. So. So when you guys decided to start this podcast, and uh, Colin, we'll start with you because you were apparently the, the man that made it happen. Um, what was what were the things that you were seeing in young officers or things that weren't being taught that you just wanted to make sure that it was it something that you didn't know coming in? Or was it just something that you were seeing in the young officers that, you know, was the catalyst for for your own podcast on uh, officership? Yeah. So a couple of things come to mind. First of all, it struck me that enterprise wide that the Air Force was struggling to develop its officers properly, that there seemed to be a lack of feedback and mentorship and just a co- coherent way of grooming young officers into eventually uh, you know, majors, lieutenant colonels, colonels, commanders, you know, who understood the, the burden of command rather, and how to make the switch from being a tactician and moving into that higher level um, type of leadership of, of command, which is the expectation of, of being a a commission officer. Otherwise, why be an officer at all? Right. And, and so I I saw that from my own personal experience, I saw that when I got into ROTC and the curriculum that we were supposed to be teaching to these, uh, these young, bushy-tailed, bright-eyed uh, cadets who have no life experience and no clue of what the military is. And somehow I'm supposed to prepare them from where they are now to being a second lieutenant and setting them on the path, the trajectory that's going to pr- eventually get them to command. And I didn't feel like I had the tools myself, much less the ability to instruct others on how to do that. And so I uh, started having some of these conversations with Reed and realizing that there was a gap in uh, in the information just in general but specifically in the podcasting space on this type of information how do you become an officer what does it mean to be an officer what does the developmental path look like and what should it look like is really where i think we want to go is some of this thought leadership type of thing on how do we make it better for whatever fight is coming next and a lot of the conversation is right now is around great power competition and moving away from uh, counter counterterrorism and that sort of thing and, and that's going to take a different type of officer a different type of a different way of thinking and so uh, all of this uh, kind of came together I pitched the idea to read hey let's do a podcast let's you know, share some of our thoughts some of our lessons learned from uh, our time in the commissioning uh, sources, both as uh, cadets ourselves, but then as instructors, and let's use some of these lessons learned uh, to help others uh, improve that, their own experience and build upon what we've learned so that they can become even better than we are. Reed, you got nothing to jump on that? Oh, no, I, I'm just, I'm remembering. I want to see the disagreements. Sorry. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm just remembering when he pitched the idea and I'm like, there's no way I'm getting on air. And like sharing this stuff, right? Um, and I'm just grateful that he pushed me because something, if you haven't picked it up already, I hope the audience and, and you guys can hear it and feel it. We really care about delivering a quality product. When we say our product, it's those second lieutenants because 
the enlisted corps is the heart and soul of our service and we owe it to them we owe it to you guys to deliver effective leaders who are going to enable and then get out of your way and let you guys just crush the mission and when we see those failures all around us the first place colin and i look is is what are we doing wrong and we want to close that gap we want to get those folks who are thinking about being an officer or or thinking about joining the military but they just don't have that knowledge that's kind of where we we wanted to target those folks and and you know maybe it's not for them you know that's something else that we we don't hide from this is a tough life it's a lifestyle it's a profession it isn't just a job that you show up for and we want to try and help kind of remove some of that mystery for folks right well and i think it's it's super important for the enlisted corps as well to to understand what officers are supposed to do you know the legal responsibility that they have versus us cuz i remember coming up you know when i'm a staff sergeant it's real easy to look over at the officer corps and be like what makes them so special like they have a degree without fully understanding where where the lines are and what the different responsibilities are and how different they are and you know as you as as i've grown up through my career you know like i i ran across some uh, some guys i think they were straight out of the academy you know like on casual status and they were doing that like whole like uh hey sergeant don't salute me it's fine blah 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 and I like I, I kind of got upset with them. I was like, guys, like this is this is the deal as I understand it. But I'm, yeah, all I'm saying is I think it's important on both sides of the fence to understand where our responsibilities begin, where they end, and what our expectations should be for each other. Just like you're saying, because um, that's the only way that we're gonna we're gonna get the mission accomplished in the most efficient way possible. Uh, but you know, I'll, I'll stop ranting. So so you guys are kind of focusing on the uh, the the pre like when, when the the pre Air Force. Uh, audience, right? And uh, when should people start preparing if they want to be a, a successful officer? And Reed, we'll start with you this time. When when should they start thinking about it? And what kind of things should they start doing? So the answer is immediately, right? Wherever you are, it's time. Um, the things that are essential for becoming an officer are outlined in Title 10. We're not going to go through them all in detail. They're kind of the basic stuff that we all expect, right? You got to be a citizen. You got to have good moral character. You have to have some physical qualifications and and the like, right? It goes on and on. No, no mysteries there. But the things that make you a good officer are, in my opinion, traits that you have to develop over time. These are things like trust. These are things like character. These are things like caring for people and caring about people more than you care about you. Those are things that I don't think you can just start, you know, overnight. I think this is, you know, something that you have to work at. At the same time, I don't want people who are, you know, thinking about this and, and like all of a sudden start doubting themselves and maybe this life isn't for them. I think overwhelmingly, most people have a lot of these good kernels. They have a lot of these good seeds embedded in them. And part of what training can do is to bring those things out. Um, I don't know, Colin, what are your thoughts on, you know, kind of when people should start? I, I, I felt that life had kind of prepared me for this. Again, I feel like I found my calling, right? When I showed up to OTS and they start doing all those cheesy, you know, <laughs> motivational speeches and, you know, like, hey, let's go running with our boots on in the night. And I'm like, yeah, like I'd found my people, you know, I'd, I'd felt like I'd found my tribe. And so for me, it was a culmination of, of things I had done my whole life that just kind of came together. Yeah. So for me, there's a, a Chinese proverb that goes, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is now. And so if you wait on starting your development toward being an officer or toward being a better enlisted airman 
or being a better person, period, you're losing out on the time that you could have spent getting that much better, right? You know, 20 years ago would have been a great time for us all to have planted that tree, but that's no longer an option. And so we now are faced with the choice of what we're going to do with the time that we have now. Are we going to be deliberate with our choices? Are we going to say, are we going to recognize within ourselves that there are some limitations that we want to improve upon? And then are we going to develop some goals and plans to accomplish those goals and then commit ourselves to actually do the hard work of making those changes? And so if you want to be an officer, if you want to join uh, the enlisted corps, if you want to be a better person or any any of those types of things, the best time to do it is now. Right. I, I think the stuff is scary. Sorry. I'm yeah, go ahead. That in there. No, I was <laughs> yeah. just saying, I just had a thought, like, cause when you said, like, you need to commit, like, I, I remember uh, committing to stuff is, is terrifying for some reason for people. And, you know, we get that kind of stuff a lot. So I just want to throw that in there real quick. Like, why, why is it so scary to commit to something? You know, just probably because it's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the same principle goes for those people that, you know, haven't set up some sort of IRA or something where they can, you know, get when they're older. If you start it when you're younger, everyone always tells you that at school. And then, you know, for some reason, people just don't end up doing it because they're like, ah, I'll do it later. I'll, I'll get to it. I'll whatever. And, you know, before you know it, you're 40 years old. You're like, man, I really got to get started on this. And that time, you know, 20 years ago was the time to do it. Um, so, yeah, a couple things on the, what you guys were talking about there. I like what you were saying, you know, Reed, just talking about some of the, um, you know, ways that you approach it and allowing guys to do their business and take care of everything. Cause that's pretty much what we, um, talk about, you know, in our podcast is the officers are there to facilitate the job of those people that are enlisted that are actually doing the technical specialty type of work um, within the Air Force. And and that goes for, you know, any other core also. And a lot of these principles that you're talking about are also across the board, not just in the officer world, but, um, you know, NCOs, all that kind of stuff. If you're in a leadership position, period, you have to allow people to fail. You have to allow people to actually be able to do their jobs and facilitate that. Um, at the end of the day, you have to care about your tribe. I just finished reading a book called Tribe by Sebastian Junger, and it's awesome if you guys haven't read it yet. Um, it just talks about you know, the belonging that people want to a community and to be able to actually contribute and prove their worth and show that they care about the community and actually, you know, put forth the effort because that's the only time that people are willing to put forth their maximum effort. It's not just to make yourself better. It's to make those around you better and actually, you know, make what you leave, you know, at the end of the day, we're all going to leave this planet. So hopefully we leave it a better place and we leave the air force after we leave it a better place. And those people that are following behind us are able to actually facilitate being better at the mission and stronger than we ever were doing everything smarter. That that's all of our hope. And I think that's why we do all these podcasts to begin with. Um, so I just like that you, you said all that kind of stuff because it really um, aligns with everything that we believe in, not only you know in Air Force Special Warfare, but across the Air Force. So um, a couple questions I have for you guys. So focusing on leadership and you know, a young lieutenant, obviously you're talking about they should get started now and all that kind of stuff. What specific sorts of things would you recommend they start doing, you know, if they're a person that's in high school or you know, even earlier to get started on their leadership potential and being able to actually, um, you know, practice 
before they get into the actual role of an officer before they get to OTS? What kind of things would you recommend guys do? Yeah, for sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll take that one first. So if you look into uh, the, the AFIs, yes, I am going to call an AFI <laughs> on your podcast. Don't sue me. You know, this is the first. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's important uh, for uh, Reed and I to know where this kind of direction comes from. And so on our podcast, we do often get into the AFIs like good officers should, right? Uh, we, we should know where uh, what is the actual policy. And so if you go to uh, Air, uh, AFI uh, 1-2, this talks about the, res- the responsibilities of a commander. But in that, it also talks about how the principles that are in that that AFI can be applied anywhere to anyone, not just in the Air Force, but just in general. If you want to be a leader, this is the kind of stuff that you should be paying attention to. And the things that are required of a good commander or any leader is that they be aware of four things. The first one is that they pay attention and focus on executing the mission. Mission has to come first. That's that's what we are here to do. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be the one who is doing the mission. You you don't necessarily have to be the guy who is you know in Air Force Special Warfare, kicking in the door, uh, shooting up all the bad guys. You don't necessarily have to be doing that. You should be aware of how it's done and enable it to be done. But that needs to be your number one focus is the, the mission and how to get it executed and accomplished. The next thing is to understand the principle of leadership specific toward airmen. Leading airmen is what we do as officers. And that is managing personalities. That's managing their time, their training, their uh, organization and equipment. All of that gets rolled up into this idea of leadership. But my favorite definition of leadership or way of thinking about it is you are a leader if you can influence someone to accomplish something that they wouldn't do or couldn't do without you. It is by your presence that you are enabling them to accomplish the mission. That is leadership to me. Then the third thing is managing resources. So as officers, you are uh, often given a budget of people, of money, of time, and you need to be able to understand how of, how all of those different things work together toward the accomplishment of the mission, toward the leadership of your airmen, enabling them to do the things that they need to. And then the last one is to improve the unit or improve, if it's not a unit, improve your organization. If it's not uh, like a company or a nonprofit or something like that, just look around you, look for a group of people how can you improve that organization, that group of people? Are you going to uh, you know, suggest different ways of um, doing a, 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 a process or organizing or communication, collaboration or something like that? The, the goal is to leave everything that you touch that you are a part of better than, than you found it. Kind of like what you were saying earlier, Brian, by the time we leave the Air Force, it, it should be better because we were part of it. So those are the things that we focus on as officers executing the mission, leading airmen, managing resources, and improving the unit. And if you want to prepare yourself to be an officer or if you want to be a better officer, those are the areas where you should focus your attention. Look around you, see how is it how you can take those principles and apply them into your 
your duties as an officer in the Air Force, as an enlisted airman who wants to become an officer, or maybe a civilian who is preparing for that uh, to receive the commission someday in the future? Yeah, Brian, that's a great question. I think Colin, he hit on something I want to focus on is he said, look around. Um, I think the ability to kind of assess self, see where you are now and where you're trying to get to. And so for, you know, that, that person that you mentioned in high school, that's thinking about this, you know, maybe I want to be an officer, maybe I don't, they need to look at where they are now and think about where they want to get to and then find the way that the path that's going to connect those two things. And that's a trait Colin and I talk about a lot, the ability to assess self and really understand your abilities, your weaknesses, and then, you know, default aggressive as Jocko would say, and get after those things that you see, you've got to, you've got to address. Yeah, I think uh, that's really important to recognize because, you know, for myself, I was terrified of public speaking when I was younger. And I've said this before on different podcasts. Obviously, thousands of people are listening to the podcast now. Um, and I'm pretty comfortable talking to them and everything like that. But I think it took a long time for me to really know that, like, hey, I suck at this. And this is not something that, you know, if I'm going to actually affect anybody or help anybody that I can suck at. So I need to get better at it. And I need to actually focus on this, pay attention, you know, think about whatever I'm going to do, like think about what I'm going to, how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to, what I'm going to say. And I started doing, you know, just live videos, that kind of stuff. So, you know, the, the how is not as important as the, the end state goal, but there are different paths like you guys are talking about to actually get to whatever end state you're trying to get to. Um, but we know that different principles like you were talking about, Colin, are um, important and there are basics that an officer should focus on. Just like you guys that are out there, you're focusing on the past test. Um, those are the basics of whatever is going on. There are things obviously on top of that, but what you got to focus on is your five meter target. And then, you know, you're projecting all the other stuff that might be coming up in the future just in case. But as you go through, you know, things are going to change. Maybe you have to kind of develop the situation and see what the best course of action is going to be. You know, you don't just make a plan and then follow the plan just to follow the plan. You know, you try and feel out, all right, is this the best option? Continuously reassess, like, is this actually helping me? Whatever I'm putting all my effort into, is this really the best route? Am I improving? Make markers on yourself. Like this is, you know, that's why in the workout programs that I do, it's like every couple of weeks you do a pass test to see where you're at and assess, like, is this working? Am I getting better? Not only does it give you a marker, but it, if you're doing awesome and you're doing a great job, then you're like, yes, this is 100% working and it's motivating to see that that stuff is working. Um, so uh, for those guys that are younger officers, do you have any specific um, leadership traits as far as you know that they should try to focus on when they're with a the team? And then anything that you think you see a lot of guys fail at as a young officer that they could work on either one of those. We'll go with Colin first. Yeah. So something that I wanted to uh, add on to this, uh, to what we were just talking about that actually uh, applies here as well is too often the new officer is focused entirely on themselves. They lose sight of the big picture they are so concerned about learning the job so that they can be the best possible officer that they can, learning all of the AFIs, learning the policy, making sure that they're squared away with whatever job they've been assigned, be it to be a pilot or 
an Intel officer or space operations officer or civil engineer, finance officer, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter exactly what the career field is, but they get so focused on themselves, they, they get tunnel vision. And I know you guys you know, have talked about like the pain cave, you know, you know they, they turn inward and they start, they stop looking outside of themselves. And it's not because they're in pain. It's because they care about themselves more than the people around them. They want to get the good strat. They want to get the, the good developmental opportunity. They they want to make sure that they are put on the fast track to promotion toward uh, lieutenant colonel and, and colonel. Maybe they, they have aspirations of being a general officer or the chief of staff, right? And so they're so concerned about checking all of those boxes and making sure that they're the, the best that they possibly can be when all around them is just fire after fire and everything's just falling apart, right? And they, they don't build the, the, the connection with other people. They don't have the network. They don't uh, understand the, the broader Air Force mission, all because their, their focus is too narrow and too, uh, too far downward. Officers from the outset need to come in with the perspective that they're going to look up and out, they're going to elevate their vision, they're going to pay attention to what's going on around them so that they can remove roadblocks and barriers to uh, for their people. Yes, they do need to be competent themselves. They do need to understand how to be that, that technical expert as a brand new officer. But that understanding from the very, very beginning, as soon as they enter active duty, as soon as they get to their unit, needs to be on in that different direction as opposed to uh, looking inward that um, and I think that's definitely something that far too many officers even as they get further up in rank and position still struggle with 100% I so I just transitioned in from enlisted to becoming I'm a first lieutenant now and it's a not only you know am I an officer now but I'm also a physician assistant so I'm like living in the you know, medical world, and in that medical world, there's not a um, real high value on specifically leadership. It's basically like, how long have you been a doctor, um, and what's your rank? Okay, it's your turn to be in charge, kind of thing. And I, you know, that's just from I guess I was an outsider in that medical world, and now I'm kind of in that medical world now, and I'm trying to obviously facilitate some different types of changes in the the team aspect and the way that people feel. I, had, I mean, I had guys that are literally thinking about getting out of the military because they're like, if this is the military, I can't do it because nobody is a team around here. You know, I, I just want somebody to ask me to drop because <laughs> I want to feel that sense of team and like accountability. And I don't want someone to just smooth it over and say, it's okay. Like if I mess up, tell me I mess up. And, uh, there's just a lot of that going on. And like you said, there's a lot of people that are like, Hey, I'm going to do this public speaking event because I want to be whatever officer of the quarter or airman of the quarter or whatever. And that's definitely not what people should be chasing and not why people should do any of the things that they do is to be anything of the quarter or of the year or anything like that. It's always to better the team. And if you're doing better for the team, that's more important than having a piece of paper on your wall. And I think that's really important for guys to realize, especially those people that are listening that it aren't specifically an SW because you guys in SW, you're going to get dropped a lot and you're going to enjoy it. Um, but everyone else that's listening out there, you know, don't chase bullets or chase any of that kind of stuff. Chase 
the team and making sure that the mission is taken care of, making sure your people are taken care of. And that's what's going to make you, you know, a better officer. And you're going to value that much more than a piece of paper once you're retired and you're done with your job um, because those relationships are going to last. So um, the last question I was talking about, um, Reed, we'll give this one over to you is uh, other things that you, you're, you see guys fail at and you know how they can improve. Yeah. So two things for me, one, I, especially I, I saw this a lot with a lot of the, a lot of the enlisted members that were transitioning, right? So at OTS, we, we almost have all, almost all of them, all of the prior enlisted that commission come through OTS in some form or fashion. There's a few, you know, random programs out there that they can commission other ways, but almost all of them come through OTS. And they understood the difference between officer and enlisted and that fine line that you have to walk um, in keeping those relationships close, but also professional. Um, But I see a lot of young officers get way too close with their enlisted members in a way that compromises their ability to exercise command when that is required. And that's something it's a, it's a really hard thing to describe. I remember going through OTS, right? I, I, my dad was prior enlisted, uh, he was in the Air Force for the first eight years of my life, but I, I didn't really grow up in the military, so I didn't really understand that there's this like officer thing and this enlisted thing. So I'm going to, I'm going to the training, and they're like, okay, now fraternization, and I'm like, wait, I can't be friends with these people. Like I, this was all new stuff to me, and so it's something I've had to really learn a lot about and and try to study because it's kind of a foreign concept that there are these lines, and I think it's all fun and games when you're buds with everybody. But when you actually have to lay down the law, uh, that falls apart really quickly and it compromises your ability to be a leader and their ability to follow. And so that's that's one area that I see a lot of young officers making mistakes in. Um, and I think to tie it up with what both you, Brian, and Colin both said, I think a lot of the source of all these mistakes is people forget their why. There was a reason you decided to raise your right hand and pledge your life to something bigger than yourself. And when you forget that, when you forget what got you to that point, that's when everything goes off the rails. And and I think, again, you got to set back every once in a while, assess self and ask, why am I doing this? And if, if that why is gone, um, then maybe you need to start thinking about doing something else. Those whys can change. You know, like if you started out in the military as a young single bachelor and, you know, every, everything was like your hair on fire and deploy every week or whatever, right? That's cool. And then as you, you know, maybe find somebody, settle down, have a couple kids, like your why is going to change and that's fine. But if you don't have something out there that can center you and that you can focus on and, and use as that guiding star when things get tough, because they're going to get tough. Um, I think that's when a lot of people really start making bad decisions is when they've, they've lost that why. And I want to say there that your why should change. If your why doesn't evolve over the the course of your time, then something's missing. And you need to, exactly as Reed is saying, is assess self, take a a closer look at what's going on around you, and uh, make some tough decisions if necessary. You know, the the way that the Air Force is set up is that, that we don't get to wear this uniform forever. Everybody will take it off at some point. And uh, eventually you may, f- uh, it, either the Air Force is going to choose that for you, or you're going to realize that your why is now outside the Air Force. And that's totally okay. There's nothing wrong with separating 
before you reach retirement eligibility. But if you are caught uh, unprepared for that because you haven't been paying attention to what your why is and what it should be, then that's a dangerous place to be. One thing that has to change, right? As you, as you progress in rank and your responsibilities change, if your why doesn't change along with that, you know, we see it on the enlisted side a little bit, right? As you go from staff sergeant and then you become a senior and CEO later on down the road, you know, and you're with, for us, we're like with the bros. And then like when you promote ahead of your bros and then you have a whole new set of responsibilities, you kind of have to like start setting those boundaries over again. I think on the officer side, you, you kind of come in with those boundaries. So it's a little bit different, you know, like you show up and you're the same age as a bunch of these staff sergeants and it's like, no, no, you're different. It's, mm-hmm. it's gotta be tough. Like, I'm glad I'm not an officer, but, um, <laughs> but speaking of which, like, uh, I, I think you guys know, like all of us on the ones red podcast are either enlisted or, or, or prior enlisted. Um, and, and we talked about this a little bit before is the, the officer en- enlisted relationship. And, you know, I think we're getting into that now and, and how it's beneficial or, or how it works and how it doesn't work. Um, but, uh, Reed, let's start with you. What, what do you look for in a, uh, enlisted leadership? So, I'm also going to reference an Air Force instruction because I'm nerdy that way. Um, I know this sounds really like cliche, but that little handbook, the enlisted force structure, really it literally lines out exactly what you should be looking for, and it makes it really easy on us brand new butter bars who don't know what's going on. So for all those brand new officers who are like, what should I look for in an NCO? What should I look for in a senior NCO? There's this little handbook that explains it all. Um, but no, for real. So when I think about... I, and I do kind of categorize them in three different three different ways, right? Like when I've got a brand new airman, you know, fresh out of basic and fresh out of training, I have different expectations of them than I do an E7 or E8, you know, those senior NCOs. And for me, what that looks like for those brand new young airmen, I need them to not give me a reason to not trust them. So when we when we all put on this uniform that comes with trust. It's it's built in automatically because I can't afford to not trust you. Don't give me a reason to not trust you. I expect you to make mistakes, frankly. We're all young. We're all trying this out. We're brand new at this. But I expect heart and I expect effort, but don't give me a reason to not trust you. That's what that's what I think of when I look at my my junior airmen. When I look at my NCOs, again, trust is total given at this point right? You guys should be completely plug and play. You should be crushing the mission, completely reliable. And I expect you to start to grow and develop into that leader that I want you to be. And just that concept of reliable performance, you know, those NCOs, they've just got to be wholly reliable. And this is where you're going to start seeing a lot more interaction between um, the enlisted and and the officers, at least in the intel world, right? And I, I would hope that the NCOs can start treating the company-grade officers like who they can become, not like who they are. Because these CGOs, in not too many years, are going to be pinning on oak leaves, and they're going to be DOs and commanders. And if you just keep treating them like one of the bros, they're going to stay one of the bros, and they're not going to develop into who we need them to be. And for those senior NCOs, um, those are the counselors, the confidants, those are the people that I would I look to for guidance as an officer. I look to those senior NCOs 
when when things are not going well and I cannot sort out what's going on or, I, or I've lost the pulse of what's going on in a in an organization, I want to be able to pull that E7 plus into the office and be like, hey, what is going on? You know, how can we get after this? What is your advice? What do you recommend? Speak truth to power. Call the baby ugly. Call them out. Like you said, Brian, if they're wrong, say it. And, you know, counsel in private and then support decisions when they're made. And that, that can be really tough. You know, I, I was an executive officer at officer training school supporting the commandant for about a year. And our superintendent w- was regularly in the office giving advice to the colonel. And sometimes he would accept that advice and sometimes he wouldn't. And it was hard to watch her struggle when he failed to adhere to her guidance. And that's going to happen, right? That's going to happen in, in whatever relationship you're in. Um, and sometimes the commander was right, and sometimes the superintendent was right. But the point is that when they walked out of the office, they were in sync, and they made things happen together. And am I getting after what you're what you're looking there, yeah, looking for, Trenton? I just want to make sure I'm covering what you're asking. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think uh, I just want to throw in uh, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, uh, that movie with with Tom Hanks and about the the shot down pilot in Russia, right? Uh, the, the Russian spy actually says one time, like the boss isn't always right, but he's always the boss, yeah. you know? And as long as you can figure out that relationship and then you, you have that trust between the, like the senior NCO and the, uh, the Colonel, um, then, uh, then it's all gravy. You know, you say what you need to say and you all come to a consensus and you, you move forward. Yeah. You know, we, Colin and I, we did an interview with the air universe, uh, was it home center command chief? Yeah. Home center command chief. And he said something that I thought was so perfect. He said, Things are working well, and I'm summarizing, when you take the experience and talent and skill of the enlisted corps and you match it up with the authority of the officer, that's when the magic happens. And I, I totally believe that. You know, when you put those two things together, that's when goodness is going to happen. Owen, you got anything to say about the enlisted force? I echo everything that, <laughs> that, that Reed said. The, the only thing that I want to emphasize here is where does trust come from? You know, we keep throwing that word out. You know, we need to trust each other. That the 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 junior airman needs to uh, demonstrate that they're trustworthy. the The NCO needs to uh, trust that they can build that CGO into what the officer that is eventually going to be a DO or commander. the The senior NCO needs to uh, trust the officer with uh, feedback and that sort of thing. But where does trust come from? Trust comes from three things that first both parties demonstrate character that they are of that good moral character that uh, those air force core values integrity first service before self excellence and all we do i know those are trite phrases but they're they're real there there's there's actually substance there that helps us to that develop our character to uh, to what it needs to be and then from there we uh, we each demonstrate competence, competence with the the responsibilities that we've been given as a tactician, as a, as an officer, and as a leader, as someone who wields authority, as someone who wields experience, and then you bring those two things together, and there that magic happens. But even with character, even with competence, nothing's going to happen unless there is connection. There ne- needs to be. A relationship between the officer and the enlisted airman. Yes, we don't want fraternization, but we want there to be a, a connection, a brotherhood even, 
not bros, but a brotherhood or a sisterhood, a connection between people who recognize each other for who they are or who they can become. And it's there with those three things in place, character, competence, and connection, that trust is actually going to be built and enable for us to carry out the mission together. Yeah, I think trust is everything, right? And I think there's there there are some some small differences uh, between maybe the regular Air Force and what we do. Uh, we have a, a little book that was uh, authored by Colonel Kurt Bowler, maybe one of our our greatest stoves that's ever lived. Uh, just give him a shout out real quick. But like one of the words that they use, and we brought it up before, with the the team sergeant and the team leader, uh, you need to have an intimate relationship. And I think people, you know, we all make jokes about it and all that other stuff. And uh, but having knowing each other very very well and building that trust and going through all the training together and proving that you're both competent and care about the same things and care about the people and care about the mission uh once you develop that relationship you know you you don't have to to work that hard at creating the, a, a symbiotic relationship that makes the team better um and and I'll, i just want to say right now like when for anybody that's never experienced what it's like to have uh to be on a team where your officer corps and your enlisted corps are perfectly in sync and they're, you know, like they're all working together the way that they should be. It's a, it's a beautiful thing and it makes everything better. Everybody is more comfortable to be honest with each other. Everybody's more comfortable to, to take chances, to do their job better or to come up with, you know, better ideas to get, get the job done. It's, it just facilitates everything. But uh, for you guys, if, if say I was like a, a captain out there right now and I'm having that, uh, a struggle or I have questions about how to uh, make that relationship better or help my team become uh, more high functioning, a higher performing team. Uh, and we'll go back to you, Colin, if you don't mind real quick, what, what advice would you give them? Because I think that's kind of like the tipping point of where officers start to transition into that, like, you know, really being able to facilitate, um, or correct me if I'm wrong, that the team. Yeah. First thing that that captain or really that any officer who's in that type of situation needs to do is shut up. They need to stop talking. They need to listen to their people because the reason they, they don't know what's going on is because they're talking too much or they aren't hearing the words that are coming from, from the enlisted who are either not saying anything at all or they are saying something, but it's not being understood. It's not being listened to. And so that officer needs to close their mouth, put themselves in, in a place where uh, the airmen are willing to and are comfortable to uh, voice their concerns and just listen that's the first and most important thing that they need to do that's why we have two ears and one mouth reed you got any comments on that i just i i couldn't agree more the first thing when things aren't working out the first question is what have i done wrong and i think that is a really hard question to ask because in our profession right we're all superheroes right? That, that's who we are. That's the aura we build. That's what training teaches us. That's what our moms tell us, right? We are these amazing <laughs> superheroes. And it is really, really difficult to say, I messed up. And that's the first, and I totally agree with Colin. The first thing you have to do is shut up. The next thing you need to say is, where did I go wrong? Because as the leader, yeah. it is your responsibility to establish the culture and if the airmen are too afraid to tell you what's going on, then you have lost. If you are talking too much, like Colin said, and you know throwing around your edicts of power, you are wrong. So the first thing, shut up. Second thing, where did I screw up? 
And if you can get there and you can get an NCO who's going to straighten you out, like, like Trent was talking about, right? Getting on a team like that, it's amazing. There are fewer things that are more rewarding than getting in a room with a group of people, getting the job done and feeling like you're part of a family. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It's why I keep doing this. Yeah, it goes straight back to you know what you're talking about earlier: constant reassessment and developing the situation and just figuring out where do I need to go next, what did I do wrong, is you know this the best that we can do with the product that we're we're working with right now. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about you know we get a lot of questions from guys that are in college or not in college, they're thinking about college, their parents recommend them to go to college so they can go and you know have some kind of degree before they go into the military, and I get that question a lot, um, and there's a couple different avenues to becoming an officer. Um, can so academy versus ROTC versus you know like I did it basically. Yeah, <laughs> I just signed a bunch of papers and became an officer. Yeah, there you go. I still I still have been OTS. So there's a lot of different ways. Um, so I don't really know how to act like an officer. And I was telling Aaron that it's like I'm coming on here. These guys, this is going to be the most officer training that I've received the entire time I've been in the Air Force because I've literally had zero conversations about doing officer things. Yeah. So I'm going based off of what I know, my experiences. Um, hopefully those are valid enough to improve the team, but for those guys that aren't sure, you know, which path to take, which Avenue would be the best for them personally, Academy, ROTC, other, other things, how would you recommend they go about assessing whether it's right for them? Yeah, sure. I'm going to take this one. So I think they need to understand there are three main sources to get a commission and they are prioritized by the Air Force. So depending on how badly you want to get commissioned, you should try to go to one of these in order. So the first is the Air Force Academy. Uh, they commission about 1,000 people a year. Uh, they primarily commission line officers or those people that are able to be in command doing combat functions. Uh, they do commission you know, people that go on to law school and medical school and things like that. But overwhelmingly, these are going to be your pilots. Uh, you know, what, 60, 70% sometimes of the graduating class is going to be a pilot. So uh, they get first dibs. It's facts, right? They're the first people that are in line when it comes to getting a commission. Uh, the second biggest source and the one that they should go to second is uh, ROTC. And that commissions the bulk of the officers. Uh, they can do that through their various uh, colleges and universities. Uh, you know, Colin can answer questions about that if any of your audience want to get in touch with him about that. Uh, and then third, and the backup system for commissioning is OTS. Uh, so they, they all recruit different pools of people. The academy is kind of your elite, you know, your Ivy League competitor. You know, these are the folks that are smarter than all of us here in this, you know, in this team room today. You know, these are the genius types, you know, who are not only attractive and physically fit, but they're also really, really good at being a leader and doing other things. And we all would hate them if they weren't just nice people. But that's kind of, you know, the crowd that goes over to the academy. Uh, ROTC, they definitely get a more diverse group. Uh, they are, uh, as Colin would say, they are interesting the qualified, you know, the ROTC instructors and recruiters. They're out there trying to find people who have skill sets we need and getting them while they're at school. Um, I should have mentioned this before, but if you are interested in going to the academy, you need to really start buckling in about your sophomore year. Junior year might be a little bit late. Um, but that's when you really need to start looking at the academy. 
ROTC. That's sophomore and junior year of high That's school, correct. not My, college. Yep. Thanks for clarifying <laughs> that. Um, now with ROTC, you've got a couple more years. Uh, so it's generally a four-year program. It can be a three and it might be a two if you're really special. But in general, you know, your first couple years of college, you're, you're going to be able to do ROTC. Uh, OTS is for those that uh, got there, have their degree already. Uh, but OTS, is, and this is really important to know, it's the flexible partner in the commissioning scheme. So in years like right now, where there's you know a 20-year high in retention, nobody's leaving the Air Force, you can't turn off the four years of the Air Force Academy and tell those thousand people, hey, you don't get a commission this year, but you can absolutely stop sending people to OTS. So when we talk to people all the time that have this question, should I go to the Academy? Should I go to ROTC? Should I go to OTS? Uh, if your goal is the commission, start with the academy. If you're ineligible for that, try ROTC. If you're already past those things, then OTS is kind of your plan C uh, because they can and will turn that valve off if they don't need people to be commissioned. They just will stop sending them there. So uh, I was in that group, right? I, I went to OTS. I was done with my bachelor's and my master's degree when I thought, hey, maybe the Air Force would be for me. So it kind of catches people at all different developmental stages. Again, OTS does the overwhelming majority of prior enlisted members that have gotten their degrees. So those are kind of the differences, you know, just kind of wave top, but in priority order, Academy, ROTC, OTS. Colin, you got anything on that? Um, no. <laughs> All right. Reed, cool. Reed did it real well. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even know that stuff, honestly, <laughs> especially the prioritizing thing. Um, uh, sorry, you know, that I'm thinking about it, if, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only thing that I would want to add there is that there are special, uh, programs that enable enlisted airmen to go to each of these different sources. And so what Reed was saying as far as like priority uh, goes is more uh, for the uh, civilian who's coming in without any prior enlisted experience. Um, but if you if you're an enlisted airman who is not married, doesn't have uh, dependents, uh, still young and uh, vigorous, you can apply for uh, for the lead program, which will send uh, send you to the academy. So you can enlist first and still go to the academy, or you can get a part of these different scholarship opportunities that will send you to Air Force ROTC. But the vast majority of, like Reed has been saying, vast majority of uh, enlisted uh, to officer commissionees is going to be through OTS. Okay. And uh, one other thing that I wanted to throw out, I don't know if you guys have any experience with this, but I talked to a couple guys recently that are part of an ROTC program. Uh, it's like a STS unit, basically, where they kind of form their own little unit and guys train together, that kind of stuff. So I just want to throw that out there. I don't know what kind of experience or really how that's organized or anything like if it's just a unique thing to down here at uh, in Utah or if you've seen that in other places or whatever. But I, I sounded like it was a pretty good opportunity for people that are like-minded to get together, train together and practice leadership, you know, amongst each other and, you know, building the team like that. Is that available other places? Yeah. So I can talk to that a little bit more too. So uh, different uh, ROTC programs and also at the academy, there'll be uh, what they call like phase zero or ST prep uh, kind of things where um, the masochistic 
cadets like to get together and beat themselves up, um, <laughs> you know, doing pool sessions or it's everybody carrying... listening here, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go torture yourself. <laughs> and uh, that can be a, a really great um, program to, uh, to help prepare you for the rigors of selection and that sort of thing. But really the, the greatest benefit that comes from those phase zero and ST prep kind of programs is just the, the bonding with other people who want to push themselves to their limits. And, and it, it really is an amazing experience to be around those kinds of people who maybe will never end up being, and most likely I should say, will never end up being Stowe's crows or TACP officers, but are still uh, in, uh, motivated by the challenge of something incredibly difficult and and chasing that huge high that comes from uh, a really intense pool session or uh, other type of workout. Yeah, we see it go in waves, you know, like I know uh, the University of Washington had a really good program there for a while because, you know, we'll see all of our, our officers come from a particular school for a while. We always get a, a pretty good uh, group of guys out of the academy. And, uh, and just while we're on the subject of ROTC, I want to say one of the, the best parts about my career was when my wife was in ROTC and I got to go out there and shoot paintballs at cadets. You know, that was one of the greatest days of mine. Actually, I don't know head, wasn't that Amen. happy about it. But yeah, the, 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 the cadre out there were like, hey, you get to come play out four. You know what you're doing? And, uh, and shooting up a bunch of cadets was a lot of fun. But um, uh, actually, I wanted to have a little bit of more fun, if you don't mind. So I have a quote here just to get your guys' take on it and put you in an uncomfortable position, uh, from the Army Officer's Guide in 1894, and I'm sure you've heard it, uh, enlisted men are stupid but extremely cunning and sly and bear considerable watching. And uh, do you guys have any uh, thoughts on that about uh, enlisted people? It's wrong. Different time, <laughs> di- different, place, uh, different time, different place. That, that may have been the, the, the case then you know, for uh, conscripts drafted into the Army. No... Um, a base level of, uh, of education or anything like that. But to, in today's air force and even in the army, you know, even there the are army. some, yeah, we'll, we'll say that even the army, <laughs> even in the army, our enlisted airmen uh, are bar none, the most intelligent um, members of the military anywhere that uh, you, you, you cannot get better people than uh, than our junior enlisted airmen and and our NCS, like they they are just amazing. Uh, I'm I'm playing. I, I don't so much focus on the stupid part. I, the uh, the cunning and sly. That's um, true. I think <laughs> that's to me that's like a warning, right? Because like if if you, it's like you know like if your friends aren't making fun of you, they're not really your friends. I think it's like a warning. Uh, if 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 you mess up with your enlisted folks, like yeah, you're in charge, but they can make your life miserable through sly and cunning ways uh i don't know i, I see it as a, as a warning to, to officers if, if you're not doing the things that you're supposed to do yeah but I, i'm just playing i'm sorry no, no i'm i'm it, it, i think i think you're really hitting on something right like if if an officer isn't forming that intimate relationship as you as you've described and and yeah if, if they are not doing that they they that kind of stuff is is, is capable of being happened it, it's capable of happening right um i had a i was de- deployed to the uk last summer and i had two of the best ncos i've ever worked with and i remember walking away and one of them said you know to to another airman in the royal air force he's like yeah i just gotta gotta keep my my captain out of trouble 
you know, and I, and I realized, I mean, I was, I was truly touched that they felt it was their job to keep me safe, if you will, right. To keep me out of trouble. I'm like, man, that guy's got my back. And the only way that we got there is because he knew that I had his. And, you know, we get back to this idea of team, those, those, uh, cunning and sly and troublesome enlisted members, you know, if you aren't on their team, you will find out quickly and it will be painful. So don't do that. That, that, that's my advice, I guess. Oh yeah. We, I mean, it's, it's always interesting when you have like a Lieutenant show up and you, you know, they're good dudes and they're like, no, I'll, I'll sign for all this equipment. And we're always like, okay, sir, like you have like different legal responsibilities. and I know how much money they can take from you. If something gets lost, like let me sign for it. Cause I know how much money they can take away from me. And it's, it's almost nothing. Um, <laughs> but that comes along with, with a, uh, a little bit of experience, I think, but yeah, you gotta, there, there are protections that go both ways. And, um, but like, but let's, I know I'm, I'm done having fun and I'm, I'm sorry for putting that out there. <laughs> I kind of, sorry, but I know our training has changed a lot for, for our enlisted members over the past, like few years, everything keeps changing, right? Everything's in a, ch- a constant change of, uh, or a constant state of change and flux has the, uh, the training for the officer corps changed that much recently that you guys have seen. Yeah, it's actually gone under quite a bit of change. So it wasn't even all that long ago in back 2010, 2011, when just at OTS, there were vastly different training programs if you were going to go Air National Guard or if you were going to go active duty or reserve. And when you think about it, we don't fight that way. We expect a similar per- performance, right? If you're a first lieutenant in the National Guard, we expect you to perform just as well as a first lieutenant in reserve or the active duty. And so starting back in 2011, they really started to try and merge as much of these trainings together as they can. And it's gotten to the point now where it used to be, even when I went through and when I was an instructor, the direct commissioned officers, so those folks that are medical, uh, so doctors, dentists, um, and then legal, so Me. RJA. Yeah, <laughs> Brian. Yeah, exactly. Me. And yeah. our chaplain corps, <laughs> they, were, they were direct commissioned. So, I mean, the minute they signed on the line, they got bars and they were getting paid and getting saluted. And some of them couldn't mm. even spell Air Force yet. Not you, Brian. When finance catches up, yeah, actually. Eventually, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But these direct commission folks, um, some of them starting as high as lieutenant colonels, depending on their experience and previous knowledge. Um, I saw people, you know, day one OTS are wearing 05. And those, all of those training programs are now have they've all been put into one at OTS. Um, and so instead of giving out like six different commissioning programs at officer training school, we have one. Now there are some legal reasons why some of the medical folks can't go to all eight weeks of OTS. Um, that's written into the code and, and we can't change that overnight. So they go to a five week program, but overwhelmingly now every single officer you're seeing coming out of OTS, whether it's guard reserve, active duty, direct commission, you name it, they're going through one program and that's just happened in the last, you know, 12 to 24 months. Yeah. And I'll speak to ROTC. The curriculum that officers, uh, that cadets, I should say that the curriculum that the cadets see, uh, over, uh, you know, each year, uh, changes, uh, a lot or a little, depending on uh, the direction from uh, the commander there at the home center and other things that are going on in, in, uh, 
in the Air Force and in the world. You know, for example, there's a big push right now to give more understanding and, and experience with uh, space doctrine uh, as opposed to just uh, Air Force doctrine and, and also joint operations, understanding the other services a little bit more. And so that stuff um, gets revised and looked at every single year and, and changed um, based on the needs of the Air Force and the Space Force. Nice. No, that's that's awesome. That's good news. Because, you know, like I was still under the impression that uh, like other, for the medical folks, you know, the joke is they go in there, they show them how to how to wear a uniform. When people throw their hand up at you, you throw your hand up back and that's it. Right. Like and then you're then you're an officer in the Air Force and you're good to go. But uh, it's good to think uh, good to hear that some of that has changed uh, and the other stuff um, with the, the the brave new world that we live in social media. Uh, the new generation coming up that we don't completely understand, but I think we all started the podcast for for a similar reasons as is reaching the audience that we're trying to get get back to, right? Uh, to replace ourselves. Uh, have you guys seen a a change in the the young officers, or and and how has social media helped shape the way that we uh, recruit or train people, or uh, just the, the the type of person, or some of the the characteristics of the people that we're getting in now? That's a really interesting question. Um, in some ways, I think social media has replaced a lot of maybe the mentorship that we used to get at, say, the officers' club or something like that. You know, I don't, I don't see that happening as much anymore. You know, the the individual mentorship. But I'll tell you, the reason I am still on Facebook is because of some officer mentorship pages that I'm a part of. Uh, it it happens, you know, at least weekly. I'll read something there. That I'm like, man, I really didn't know that that's good information uh, but how does it change people i think it that's a tough question i think it can impact their ability to connect and make those appropriate intimate relationships and you know to pull the curtain back a little bit on ots one of the first things we do is we take their phones and it's not because we hate them it's because i need them to build a new social network with the 16 people sitting in your flight room because you're not always going to be able to just pull out your phone and send a text message to whoever, you know, when you're having a bad day or you're not always going to just, you know, be able to escape to YouTube and do whatever you want in the middle of, you know, hard time. You're going to have to rely on the people in your immediate circle. That is something I did find as an instructor at officer training school. Uh, that was not easy for some folks, the ability to disconnect from their existing safety network of people and build new networks that was something i struggled with colin did you ever you know see that when you were at uh, doing rotc stuff yeah not so much at the university just because of how the the training happens there but definitely that's the case when we do our summer field training when we um force the the cadets to be without their phones for 14 days and you know, it's like the world has ended for them, but it's for that exact same reason that they need to focus at the, on the task at hand and build relationships uh, with the people that are around them. It goes right back to what I was saying earlier about if you want to have trust, you have to have connection with those other people. But something else that I wanted to say about uh, social media is that it seems like there's a, a, a big uh, victim mentality within the Air Force, especially uh, on pages like Reddit, it, where 
the the goal every single day is to go and complain about everything that's terrible uh, in the Air Force or this is how horrible my job is as, as a maintainer or uh, hey, look at all those noners over there who uh, are getting you know, hot meals in the defect or something like that, you know, and doing it with some uh, funny uh, cheesy art, you know, it, it feels like that's what so many of our airmen are going to social media for is that outlet to vent. But really what they should be doing is going and finding that mentor, that NCO, that officer and voicing the concern to them. If things really are that bad, let's have a conversation about it and let's improve it. You know, General Brown just released uh, back in August, his, his paper, Accelerate Change or Lose, where he talks about how we know about all of these different issues. You know, we, we know what's wrong in the Air Force. The problem is, is that we haven't taken ownership of them and we're not changing fast enough in order to remain capable and relevant for the, the high-end fight against great power competition, right? And if all we do is just uh, whenever something gets uh, tough or we don't like something, we just you know, bury our heads in our phones and throw up a complaint on Reddit or something like that, that does, that's not going to solve anything. What we need to do is put the phone down, go talk to somebody and say, this is something that's really bothering me. Here's an idea of what, what I had that could solve it. Let's talk to an officer a major lieutenant colonel who has connection to resources of time, money, manpower, and see if we can actually fix some things. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to jump on that real quick. And I know we've seen with, or I've seen with some of our students come in the door. One of the things I, I tell people when they, they come through is we have a problem with uh, interpersonal relationships and, and more specifically conflict resolution, right? Face-to-face conflict resolution. That's why we, we put all of our students in an open bay we take their stuff away from them. And we're like, you are going to, you're going to figure out how to get along. Like, and, and if you come to me with a stupid complaint, like I'm not trying to be mean, but I don't care. Figure it out. Like, that's what you're going to have to do. I can't hold your hand for the rest of your career. So I think that's one of the, the huge problems with uh, being digitally connected all the time for uh, this, this next generation. Yeah. I think, you know, the media, social media and, you know, the internet as a whole is what you make of it. You can sit there, watch cat videos all day, or you can actually go to YouTube and learn how to build a table or learn how to build something or learn how to whatever, you know, if you spend your time doing the same things over and over again, just sitting there in uh, one group where, you know, everyone's hating on the the person at work or whatever. The, the biggest thing that I learned when I became an instructor, because that was kind of one of my formative times and when I, why I wanted to start doing this, just kind of like you guys, you were in the ROTC versus OTS realm. Um, one of the things that I learned is that, you know, the place where you work is what you make of it and what you put into it. And if you're not willing to actually put forth the effort to change whatever's going on around you and you just want to be miserable, and everyone's going to be miserable if you just are all in the same place and you're just sitting there complaining about everything. Um, what it takes is for someone to actually... Hey, these are the problems. This is the thing that we should do to try and change that. At the very least, you should have a leadership that is willing to try whatever type of changes. Because if you're not a leader that's checking the climate of all those people that you're uh, around and you're in charge of, then you're wrong and you're a bad leader. You 
should go to a different job or get out of the Air Force. You need to be consistently just feeling the climate. If everyone's depressed, they feel like jumping out of whatever job they're doing, going to civilian life because they hate it, then you're not doing a good job of representing whatever career field. Because any career field can be amazing if you have the right guys that are around you. And it goes the same way for different units because I've had lots of guys that I came in with and they went to a different unit than I did. And they absolutely hated being whatever they were because those people around them completely just tore them down and they all agreed with each other like yeah this sucks let's get out of here and we're gonna go do art school or something i don't know whatever just something ridiculous that they thought would help them vent and there's no reason for that you have to take ownership of wherever you're at because there is an opportunity to make it great and make it fun colin you have something yeah so absolutely the individual airman needs to take ownership of of the unit and making those improvements but ultimately the responsibility falls to the officer the commander in charge of that unit who has the authority and the means to make those changes to, to do something about it. But if they're waiting until they get the results back from their climate survey, that's too late, right? They needed to have uh, built in and fostered a culture earlier on that would allow those airmen to make those changes or voice those concerns. It's not enough to say, yes, I have an open door policy or uh, at the end of a commander's call to say, does anybody have any anything for me? That's not enough, right? Like I was saying earlier, if something's wrong, or if you if you have that spidey sense going, you know, that tingling in the back of your neck, your ears are itching, or something like that, shut up. Go find the airmen and listen to them. Give them the opportunity to vent those concerns to you as opposed to on social media. And there you have the information and the ability to actually in, enable enact some of those changes that that the airmen need. And that goes back to those responsibilities that I was saying earlier of the the four things that Every officer is responsibility responsible for, especially the commander, executing the mission, leading airmen, managing resources, and improving the unit. There it is, right there. That's that's something that we all officers have to do. Right. And just to clarify, I wasn't talking about a climate survey. I was talking about like when you walk in the room and you see people's faces, you should know what the room is actually like and what people are feeling because you know them well enough. You see them every day and you're actually invested in all the things that are going on. Yeah, um, the unfortunate truth is that not enough officers do that and they wait yeah. for the climate survey to give them that yeah. information. Yeah, definitely shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> um, all right. So last thing, Reed, you got anything on uh, that? No, I totally concur. I mean, you, you guys are nailing it. Okay. Um, I think Reed already knows everything. Being an intel officer, he has his network. He knows everything about everybody in his organization. Yeah. He has. Yeah, but he can't talk about it. Yeah. He has each of us on a separate screen right now as he's talking on the podcast. <laughs> um, all right. So I just want to get into some of the reading list stuff. Um, I know you guys have a reading list, um, top three books that you guys would recommend to guys. And if you can send us the reading list, we'd like to attach it to the bottom of the YouTube, um, just so we can add some additional stuff. We have our own reading list also. So, you know, I like to listen to different books, so yeah, I'm always open to suggestions. You guys have any, you know, top three. Yeah. For me, we actually had a whole podcast episode about reading. Um, first and foremost, something reading something is better than nothing. So start, just start today, read something. Uh, my, my top three right now, the books that are really impacting the way I think about the world, uh, The Mission, The Men, and Me by Pete Blaber, a fantastic read. Uh, Once an Eagle by Anton Myrer, a fantastic book. 
I went out and bought a first edition. I loved it so much. And then Team of Teams uh, by Stan McChrystal. Um, those three books right now are absolutely changing the way I approach leadership and how I look at interacting with other people. Uh, highly recommended. Yeah. So then for me, uh, my three books, uh, first one would be How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler. Uh, if you don't know how to read to begin with, you should you know figure out how to read. And then once you know how to read, you should read how to read a book because it'll teach you how, how to approach all of these other books that Reed just mentioned. Um, I second uh, Team of Teams. That one is really incredible. Uh, it, it is totally changing the way that I think about being a leader and the way that we should organize the, the officer corps the, and the Air Force in general. Um, uh, Call Sign Chaos by um, former Sec- Secretary of Defense uh, James Mattis is definitely uh, on that list. And then I'm going to uh, pull one from um, out of left field for you that's not about leadership at all, but it's called Starting Strength Basic Barbell Training because that book, and it's by Mark Ripito, and that book more than anything has taught me how important it is to choose to do the hard thing not because it's um, not because it's going to help you become stronger physically but because it's going to change the way that you view all the other difficult things that you come up against uh, in life and to include being an officer and a leader of airmen Nice. I like all, all those. And if you guys um, will, you know, copy some of those off of your list and then I'll have to read Team of Teams. I haven't read that one. Mission Men and Me is definitely on uh, one of our lists there. And I've read that one a couple of times. Great stuff. And that's where I was talking about developing the situation um, when we were talking about some of that stuff earlier. Yeah, I keyed in on that. <laughs> so some of the other things, um, you know, where you guys headed and obviously we're willing to help you guys out as much as possible and everything. Is there anything else you guys are looking at forward to in 2021? Where you guys trying to do the podcast? So I'll, I'll, I'll take that one first. So, uh, just today, today is December 30th. I, um, uh, our podcast re- released a, an episode, um, where I talked about having hope for the future because um, 2020 sucked, right? For uh, a lot of people, not everybody. You know, it's not a, a blanket statement that's applicable to everyone. But uh, for many people, uh, 2020 was a very difficult year. And um, usually around this, uh, this time, we are looking ahead to the next year to be better than the previous one. And especially with like covid um, not going away anytime soon. You know, we are all hoping that the vaccine and just moving into the new year of 2021 is uh, going to make things better. But that's not necessarily going to be the case. You know, a change from December 31st, 2020 to January 1st, 2021 is not going to magically solve all of our problems. What is going to solve our problems is each of us individually and then us working together collectively having hope for the future and making those hard decisions to do something about the tough situations that we find ourselves in working to improve ourselves. If you want to become an officer, start practicing principles of officership. If you want to join air force special warfare, go get ready for it. 
because it's a tough life, right? But you need to make those individual choices and then work together with the people around you to collectively make 2021 be the best year yet. Reed, you got anything, Reed? Yeah. So, you know, from a podcast perspective, we've spent the last year really kind of covering the transition. You know, how do you become an officer? What do officers do? We've covered a bunch of the AFSCs. And where we really want to go next is, well, is this right? And what do I mean by that? Like, how are we developing officers? Is that right? Are we focusing on the right things? Are we developing the leaders we need for the future? What are some areas that we think we can improve? How are we organized? Those kinds of questions are kind of the things that we're trying to tackle next. Um, big, big topics. You know, I, 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 the thing that I love about this, and, and I think we've all kind of hit on it a few times, is this is ours. We own this. We are members of the profession of arms. And outside of a few laws, which are real, you know, we can't break those. Uh, this is on us. This is on us to make it what we want it to be. And, and so that sense of responsibility that we have is something that is really amazing that this is on us. And if it's not good, let's fix it. So that's kind of where we're going next over the next uh, couple of months. Yeah, I love that. And I think one of the important things that we have with the podcast and social media and the tools that we have at our disposal is for us, we would have never met if we, you guys didn't have a podcast and we didn't have a podcast to cross, you know, spread ideas and communicate across different things. What's working for one branch, what's working for another. Obviously, there are different uh, ways to implement stuff based on the character and the types of jobs that that people are doing. One thing might not work specifically for one, but if a person's listening to these episodes and they say, hey, these are some tools that I've seen implemented and they work and they've inspired my crew, You know, we're the most effective team, all that kind of stuff. Everyone just meshes and melds together and we get the mission done, we get the job done, and then we have a lot of fun also and we're always going to remember because everyone can remember that unit that they've been at and it's like, man, that was the best time ever every single person there. Like I have a story, I have just memories. We talk all the time, we do whatever, you know, and a lot of us felt that, you know, for me personally, when I was going through the selection is just a lot of guys there. You just go through so many different hard times. You know, you see people crying, you see people laughing, you see people poop their pants. You see people like, you know, every single little piece of, of a person that you could possibly see, you see, and you get to know them better for it. And when there's some kind of conflict or some kind of, you know, thing that goes on where they disagree, they get over it because they can go back to like, Hey, we're in this together. It doesn't matter. We're, we're here to do whatever it is that needs to get done. And I think that is, um, you know, super important. We're able to actually reach you know, people that are in command positions through our podcast, have them come on, spread their ideas. And that is, that holds a lot of value for those people that are willing to actually take the time and listen and, you know, turn off whatever show or movie they're watching for a second and actually apply these leadership principles, try it out. And, um, you know, it can really help a person, you know, form a team and become a leader. And that's the objective, I think, of both of our podcasts, both inside and outside of special warfare, whatever job you're doing, leadership principles still apply. And I, you know, am proud to have you guys on and I'm glad you guys are, you guys are doing awesome work out there helping future leaders um, that are coming to the air force specifically. And yeah, I'd like to see what kind of other guests you guys can have on. Um, but I think just having the ability to do that and get uh, people to spread ideas is super important. So, uh, just to recap, if you guys, you know, 
we went a little bit longer than usual, but I think there are some really important things and there's some really great quotes that are really applicable to everyday life as far as how you're going to proceed, you know, doing the hard thing first, making sure that you continue to have a plan, but then develop everything as it keeps on going on, re constant reassessment of where you're at, where your people are at, and then investing in the team and the people that you're around constantly because at the end of the day, nothing is about any piece of paper on your wall. What it is all about is the community that you create and the legacy and the type of people that you um, foster and leave behind. If you're a person that's in a leadership position and everyone around your shop just hates their job, then you need to start thinking about how you're going to start to implement new things to make them successful. Um, if you're a person that's trying to grow and be a leader, then go and test out whatever way possible. If it's one of those ST groups in ROTC, or if you just organize your own training group through the internet, start testing out your leadership abilities, try different approaches, figure out, and most, most of all, invest in those guys that are around you because that's what's going to matter. So I appreciate you guys coming on and talking to us about some of the officership. Again, this is the most officer training that I've ever had in my entire life. So I appreciate you guys <laughs> helping Which me out with that. automatically makes it the best it was you've ever had, right? <laughs> automatically. So, um, you know, for you guys out there, um, what's your guys' Instagram handle just so they can look you up? They can find us on Instagram at, at Air Force Officer Podcast. All right. Air Force Officer Podcast. And then um, also, of course, check out their podcast and make sure you give them a listen. Um, we appreciate you guys listening. As always, you know, if there's anything that you guys want us to cover or people that you want to come on, we're always here for you guys and you can message us anytime. Um, we appreciate any review that you leave over on Five Stars. And if you have any constructive criticism, of course, we'll always take that. So continue to uh, go out there and crush it and earn each breath. Later. Later.